0: My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Pilate said to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own, or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest handed you over to me, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not here. So Pilate said to him, then you are a king. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The Gospel of the Lord. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asks Jesus that essential and critical question. And it really does come down to that, to that question. Are you the king? The answer doesn't allow for multiple opinions or perspectives where we can agree to disagree. This was and still is a a dividing line. Now, Pontius Pilate didn't really care. He's a politician from Rome. His job was to keep the Jews, the people that the Romans had occupied, under control. In fact, Pilate can see that Jesus is an innocent man. He knows that Jesus poses no real immediate threat. And that's why he's almost dismissive in his interrogations of him. Don't get me wrong, Pilate does make a decision in all this. It's why his name is mentioned in the creed every week. He had a choice. He had an opportunity to recognize who Jesus was and what was going on. Pilate chose to be a coward and tried to opt out of all the debates, washing his hands of the whole thing, trying to ignore the fact that ultimately he was responsible. The Jewish leaders, though, were very clear in answering the question. Jesus was not their king. They had rejected his preaching, his teaching, his ministry, his authority. They had rejected him. So the Jewish leaders bringing to Jesus before Pilate, someone who they despised since he came from Rome and Rome had been occupying them. But they were willing to put all that aside momentarily. They brought him before him because they couldn't kill him, which is what they really wanted for a punishment. Yes, there would be no agreeing to disagree with the leaders and Jesus and his followers over the question, are you the king? Today, the church takes quite the opposite position and almost ups the ante. We celebrate what we call our Lord Jesus Christ, king of the universe. And this feast is actually somewhat recent. It's only been around since 1925. And at that time, Pope Pius XI noted how there were all kinds of attacks against Christians from all kinds of fronts. What was called the Great War, or World War I, had only ended a few years earlier. There were still a lot of tensions that remained in the world because of that. People had witnessed institutions and governments all crumbling. And with all that uncertainty in the world, the Pope wanted the faithful not to lose sight that Jesus' reign, which began on his, his passion and his death and his resurrection, that no matter what happened in our day and age, Jesus' reign is forever. So the Pope instituting this feast and calling attention to Jesus' reign, though, it doesn't prevent World War II from happening. Or the millions and millions of people killed, including over 6 million Jews in the Holocaust. Or countless other atrocities that have happened in the near century since. And it wasn't some sort of a, a call to somehow group together all Catholic Christians to create some isolated society where we could guard ourselves away from, from those who don't respect Jesus Christ or look to him as their king. That's not what this feast is about. We're meant to reflect on the fact that Jesus' reign is born out of love And it continues out of love. Jesus doesn't subject anyone to his rule. To be a member of his kingdom is a decision. It's a choice that's made in our hearts and in our minds. Because when we meet Jesus and we experience his tender mercy and his unconditional love for us, that encounter has the power to change us. But love is more than just a feeling. When we love someone, we make choices. We make decisions that are going to reflect that reality. That's how a couple remains faithful to each other decades later after all the warm and fuzzy feelings have disappeared. That's how a mother or father gets up in the middle of the night to take care of a sick child. They might not feel like or enjoy that midnight wake-up call. But that decision to remain faithful, that choice to to get up and be attentive, that reflects that, that decision and that call of the heart and that decision to follow that. And it processes that love and makes it deeper and realer and more authentic. All this was coming to mind the, the day before Thanksgiving. I saw a headline that read, Twenty-seven-year-old Christian missionary killed by the people he went to preach to. You might have seen it in the news. Because of how distant and remote the island is where this all happened, some of the full details are still not clear. But what they do know is that the the young man by the name of John Chow, who originally comes from Washington State, had this call to be a missionary. And he felt this call to go to this remote island near India. And in preparing for this journey and, and researching it, He had wondered in his diary if this might be one of the last islands in the entire world where Jesus' name had not been preached. And so he felt compelled to go there. And he traveled to the island a few times. At first, he brought gifts of fish and scissors and safety pins and trying to to reach out to the, the native people there. And he introduced himself saying, my name is John. I love you and Jesus loves you. And he wrote that when he had done this, the natives had shot arrows at him. So he retreated to safety and that night, wrote in his journal for over 13 pages and talked about his faith and his fear. And at one point saying, I think I could be more useful alive, but to you, God, I give all the glory of whatever happens. And he asked God to forgive any people on this island who tried to kill me, especially if they succeed. And the next morning, he was martyred. And his family released a a statement on Friday saying John was a beloved son, a brother, an uncle, a best friend to us. To others, he was a Christian missionary, a wilderness EMT, an international soccer coach, and a mountaineer. He loved God, life and helping those in need, and had nothing but love for the Sintelese people. And we forgive them who are reportedly responsible for his death. It was such a tragic and sad story on a, on a whole bunch of levels, but it kind of hit me on a whole bunch of levels. Most obviously because I kept thinking this is a guy that's only a few years older than, than most of you in this room. And I'm like, if this was one of you guys saying that you felt compelled to go and be a missionary to this remote island, I would probably be coming up with every alternative or other opportunity, be a focused missionary for a couple of years. I know it's hard, but it's probably a little bit safer. I think it's a little bit safer. Um, But uh, probably all kinds of different ways I would say that you could proclaim Jesus and it'd be safe. And initially reading the story, I even wondered, if John was being naive or reckless in doing all this. But kind of what snapped me out of it was then when I was reading all the reactions to the story and it really, really upset me because online all kinds of Twitter trolls wrote things really snarky saying something like, maybe we should set up a GoFundMe page to buy the people on the island more arrows. Or others saying, Well, he got what he deserved for bothering people like this with his beliefs. I guess it's okay or even justified to kill someone for articulating their belief in Jesus. And then others tried to justify the actions of the native people saying that the remote islands people had had never been immunized. So the missionary was a threat to them. And I'm sure that the natives were thinking when they saw this young guy waving at them, singing a worship song with a Bible in his hand. He might have the flu and that could kill us. Sorry, don't buy it. That's when that reality of Pilate asking Jesus, are you the king? And that being a dividing line once again struck. Because for John, Jesus Christ was his king. And John is no different than countless numbers of missionaries who've died in similar circumstances, preaching to the peoples of Vietnam, whose feast day we celebrated yesterday morning, or the Native American peoples or the Korean peoples, all kinds of martyrs throughout the world and throughout the centuries. The difference was we used to honor that sacrifice. We used to marvel at that bravery and be inspired by their witness. And probably, thank God, that we weren't being called by God to do that type of service and that type of mission. I know I was. But it used to be the kind of thing that would cause people, myself included, to stop and say to God, what do you want me to do? How, how am I supposed to be a witness that we have a king? How do we testify to his reign by the way we live our lives? And that's what we're left with. There's no shortage of things that are wrong in our lives, in our school, in our nation, in our church in this day and age. We can all give a a whole list of, of leaders whose terms or reigns we might have legitimate and serious concern or questions over how effective they are or what kind of stewardship they've had in those roles. But this really isn't about them. They will be held accountable for how they acted or didn't act. This is about us, every one of us. Because thousands of years later, there are still countless numbers of people who still wonder about who Jesus Christ is, asking, are you the king? How we respond to the daily temptations we face, the choices and decisions we make in life, the lives that we live, demonstrates whether or not for each of us he is.